You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Hear these words. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know, we know that they help us. They help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know, we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. The word of God for the people of God. Well, we continue our uh, series of messages on Romans. You may want to follow along on the Schweitzer app or you may want to write some notes on your message notes in your bulletin this morning. As we're talking about this ongoing work of grace, God's grace. And last week, uh, we talked about justifying grace. The reality that when you step through the door of faith, when you step through the door of faith, we've been put right with God. Not on the basis of our merit or our works or anything that we've done or who we are, but by faith. In Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We have this assurance of peace that we're made right with God. We, we have this confidence. We have this audacious hope in a world that's often so hopeless and so lost. And the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about more next week, so you got to come back next week. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts. So this is, this is wonderful, right? This is, this is faith. This is God. This is Christianity. And yet we have to be honest here that after that initial cleansing and that excitement of becoming a Christian or that, that true work of the Spirit coming into our life and having peace with God, we can still sometimes get disillusioned. And we can still realize not that long down the road that we still have struggles. We have struggles with sin. We, have, we miss the mark. We, we have a defiant spirit. We have things that we've not overcome yet. And we can become so disillusioned at times in thinking that, oh my goodness, my Christian experience, it's not real. And we can easily lose hope and become discouraged with ourselves. There was a problem at the local zoo. They had advertised on opening day that there was a gorilla that was coming. They'd never had a gorilla in their little zoo before. But on opening day, for whatever reason, the arrival of the gorilla was delayed. What 
for the zookeepers to do? Well, they bought a gorilla suit. And they commandeered an employee to be a gorilla for the day. And so one willing employee stepped into the gorilla suit and he got into it the best he could. He leaped and he jumped and he bounced around and he did his best imitation of what a gorilla can do. In fact, he was so good at it, he had everyone fooled from a distance. And then one moment he got carried away with himself and he jumped over the fence and landed right in the middle of the lion's den. <laughs> 10 feet from the lion. And he began to cry out in a human voice, oh Lord have mercy. And the lion at that pounced on him and stopped and whispered in his ear, shut up or we'll both lose our jobs. Well, there are times, my friends, when I do not feel any more like a Christian than a man in a gorilla suit pretending to be a gorilla. Oh, I can fool you from a distance, but I can hide within myself, and I get discouraged in myself, and I wonder sometimes, this being a Christian, is it really what it's cracked up to be? And sadly, oftentimes, people settle for one of two options. We just opt out. And we drop out of the Christian life and we drop out of the faith entirely. Or we just go through the motions. We just go through the motions of pretending to be a Christian on the outside. When who we are on the inside, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, and in our oftentimes daily actions, is anything but who we profess to be. But I want to suggest to you this morning, no, I want to do more than suggest to you. I want to say to you that there is a third option. And that is to trust in Jesus and to trust in the power of the Spirit, to trust in grace in just the way that we trust in grace to save us and to justify us. We can trust in God to do a new work and a continuous ongoing work in us where we become more and more like the person we profess to be, that we become more and more love, that we become filled with joy, and that we know the peace of God. We know about disappointment, we understand about struggle, but we do not have to hide and pretend to be someone we're not, we can continue to trust in God and become the person that we truly are and the person that God wants us to be, where we are a new person in Jesus Christ 
And all of this is by grace. Grace. God's unmerited favor and love and strength. Grace simply means gift. Go figure. And so I want to walk through with you very simply and clearly three stages or, or ways of thinking about grace this morning. That's the Wesleyan way, the Methodist way. It's not the only description, but it's a pretty good one. <laughs> Provenient grace then is that first phase of grace. It's the idea that God loves us and God woos us and God wants us and God's been thinking about us from day one or even before day one. I mean, and God wants to bring us into the family and, and God, God just can't stop thinking about us. It's, it's Provenient grace is kind of like grits in the South. It, they bring it out whether you're ordered or not. That grace is there. But the problem is, friends, in provenient grace, and provenient meant in the days of Wesley to go before. Provenient grace is describing the common grace of God that goes before that time where we accept God for ourselves. And so it's almost like a wheelbarrow. It's, it's so much of an effort. We're unaware of this grace. We're relying on our own strength and our own power, our own strength. We're just trying to be a man in a gorilla suit, pretending to be a gorilla. But then that second phase of grace is justifying grace. And again, we, we talked about this last week where we walked around the room. There was this guy walking around the room last Sunday, if you were here, and that was the provenient grace, that walking around, struggling, finding God, but walking through the door of faith. And it's where we humble ourselves and we, we acknowledge that we are not able to save ourselves. We're not able to become the person that God wants us to be. And we freely acknowledge our sin and our brokenness and we accept freely God's offer and we rise up and we walk through the door. That's, that's justifying grace. But as we said earlier, friends, after we are justified, there's still struggles and there's still a disillusionment and there's a temptation to give up or to think this is all there is. We're just going to go through the motions of being a Christian, but not really. But no, this sanctifying grace is this continuous work of God. This, it is a process. It is the idea that God loves us just the way we are. You believe that? I hope you believe that. That God loves you just the way you are. And God loves you too much to leave you that way. Got it? It's like God loves us just the way we are. We're totally acceptable by grace. But God loves us too much to leave us that way. He wants us to want what we really want, to become this full, new, rich person with God. And so what we're talking about today is how does this sanctifying process work and continue in our life where we are becoming more and more like Jesus 
from the inside out. It means that, you know, we don't have to pretend. In Jason's book, he has a quote from Phantom of the Opera. Masquerade. Paper faces on parade. Masquerade. Hide your face so the world will never find you. But you see, it's because of grace we don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend to be someone we're not. As a Christian, I can acknowledge my struggle. As a Christian, I can acknowledge my difficulty to love. I can acknowledge my own besetting sins and my struggles. And your ongoing struggle is different from mine, and yet it's very similar. And so what, it, what is needed, friends, in, in the words of Scripture that, that Pastor Jim read earlier, is a determination on our part. And so did you notice what Paul said? How does God's grace go to work in us? How does this sanctifying process work? Here it is. There's problems and trials. Jesus was upfront about this. In this world, you're going to have suffering. In this world, you're going to have troubles. In this world, you're going to have problems. There's problems and trials. Those problems and trials work in endurance in us. So that's the determination. You see, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So there's an effort on our part. There's a cooperation on our part to work through and to be begin to build an endurance in the midst of troubles and problems and trials. And in that building up of endurance, we begin to take on a greater strength of character. Friends, it's sometimes when God seems the farthest from us that God is the nearest to us. There are times when we feel like we are failing, and yet God at the same time that we feel like we're a failure, He is pushing those roots deeper in our hearts and spirits where He's doing a new work of grace in our life where there's a greater endurance, a greater strength of character, and the hope, this hope, this full hope and confidence. It is trust, Bob. It is a hope that is fully trusting and relying on God's salvation. And so this is the way it works. We have a new prayer chapel on campus. It's a beautiful place just off, just off the corner. I hope you visit there. Pavers are being put in. And this little, this little prayer chapel that is in the midst of the prayer garden, someone took, and a few someones, took a very dilapidated, old, dirty, dingy carpenter shop and created this beautiful house of prayer. And a couple of days ago, we discovered that someone broke into it and shimmied the door. Well, that tells me two things. One, we probably shouldn't lock people out of a place to go pray. And secondly, thank God people are breaking into a prayer chapel to pray. <laughs> what would happen if we began to break in to the church so we could pray? Now, last Sunday I was over there and I saw the work of a mole. I wouldn't have picked this up, but Carrie Randolph pointed it out to me. A mole had dug this tunnel 
underneath the poured concrete and pushed through underneath the poured concrete and unearthed the earth and created this molehill. What kind of a determination did it take for that mole to tunnel through under the problem, going deeper into the earth and push up the earth? And I just got to think, what if I had that same kind of determination in wanting God to move in my life? What if I had the determination of a mole? And then I thought of the sad, tragic story of Las Vegas and a man by the name of Stephen Paddock. A week ago today, we didn't know his name. What kind of determination did it take? What kind of evil power, what kind of force did it take for this man to work for days and weeks in planning such a havoc, destructive event and massacre? What kind of determination to do harm filled that man's heart and spirit? And then I began to think, what if the I had the same kind of force. No, not the same kind of force, but an equal kind of force, a greater force of power to do good. What if I was determined as much as this man was to bring goodness and righteousness and healing and love and peace to this world? What if? Yeah, one person's clapping. It's not forced. (laughs) You get the idea. If sanctification is going to happen in us, if purity of heart and mind and spirit is going to happen in us, it's going to take some determination on our part. It's going to take some grit on our part. But when we are ready, God is more than ready to make that happen. So I want to share with you the real struggle with sin, the real struggle, the human condition struggle. And we're going to look at words and passages from Romans 7. And it's the Apostle Paul's writings and as, before we look at these words together, let me just say that some people look at Romans 7 and Paul is writing about the, the Jewish struggle to fight under the law. And there's some truth to that. And some people look at this as, well, Paul is describing what it means to struggle with sin before we become a Christian. And some people believe in these words that Paul is writing that we're going to look at. He's talking about his own personal struggle. But ultimately, friends, it is every person's struggle. It is the struggle of the human condition. And our struggle with the forces of evil are real. 
and our struggle to overcome our nature, the sinful nature, is real. But there is deliverance. So let's look at these words from Paul. First of all, these verses. Listen to these profound words. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. It may sound a little bit like Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. But notice he's making a healthy differentiation between himself and sin. He's talking about, I'm not really the one doing this. But it's sin. It's this missing the mark. It's this defiance. It's this rebellious spirit. It's this attitude. It's this prideful spirit. I mean, does anybody, can anybody relate to this other than me? It's true, isn't it? We fight this. It's real. But he does differentiate between his true self and this force of sin. Let's read on. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want us to pause just for a moment. Notice he doesn't say human nature. He says sinful nature. Many people equate being human to being sinful. If that was the case, then Jesus wasn't human. Because Jesus was fully human and he was sinless. You hear the point? It is not human nature to sin. It is sinful nature that has taken over, in many cases, the human condition. This sinful nature is real. It's a battle. So I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. <laughs> but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now here is the deal. If God is convicting you of sin, the last thing God wants you to do is to hate yourself. Self-hatred and self-despisement and self-rejection is what many people do. God does not want us to hate ourselves. He wants us to hate the sin. He wants us to hate this force and this power that has taken over us. He wants us to lead and live this clear confession of the real struggle that we're in. That's what he wants. And so what does Paul say then? Oh, what a miserable person I am. And what does miserable people typically do? They either drop out of being a Christian altogether or they just pretend to go through the motions. But here's the third option. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Who will deliver me, though? I thank my God that's in Jesus Christ. 
in the image of Kristen Sim Strong in the book that Jason wrote. They have this beautiful image of Jesus reaching down for this woman. And she struggled to overcome. And Jesus reaches down. And all she has to do is just lift up her head and reach out and find that he's reaching out for her. And friends, whoever you are, whatever is going on in your life and whatever real personal struggle you have and maybe whatever sin that you're carrying, but sin is more of a condition than an action. It, we don't fight this battle on our own. The work of sanctification is that we rely on Jesus and Jesus is our salvation and he is our sanctification. He is our hope. And so sanctification is this ongoing determination on our part to live cooperatively with God, but it's also to rely on the work of God. Over the years, I've shared with many of you for many years my own life and my own struggle, and I've been real, and I, I've, I've talked about oftentimes uh, my own sins. This morning, I want to share with you uh, a recent experience that I had of God's grace and God working in my life. So a couple of weeks ago, I was in New Franklin, Tennessee, just a suburb of Nashville at the New Room Conference. The New Room is a movement of the Spirit in the Wesleyan family. Many United Methodists were there and Free Methodists and Anglicans and other denominational groups, but it's mainly a Methodist affair, but it's not a denominational affair. And there's some just wonderful worship and rich teaching. I've never felt the presence of the power of the Spirit so strong. At the end of one afternoon session, Pastor Carolyn, she was talking about the work of the Spirit. And she invited each of us just to kind of go into our own self and wherever we needed to do and whatever we, wherever we needed to go to in that big auditorium room to just meet with God. And so I, I just felt compelled to, to go prostrate on this concrete floor. And as I did that, in a few moments, I began to sob. I began to sob very deeply. Kind of crocodile kind of tears. A sobbing that where my, my body shook, that kind of grief, sobbing, followed by some waves of peace, followed by some more sobbing, followed by some more peace, <laughs> more sobbing yet, and then more peace. And this went on for about 30 minutes. And to this day, I don't know what exactly was going on. But I do know what was going on. I know that Jesus was reaching down to me. I know that the Holy Spirit was working a new cleansing in me. And I know that the peace of the Father was coming into me. And I know that I am a lighter and more empowered. 
and more loving person than I was. And sanctification is an ongoing work of progress and determination on our part. And there's a lot of little moments, but along the way sometimes God might really give us a big one. And it's not so much about the way it happens to you, but that it happens. This is the work of sanctifying grace. This is what the Methodists mean by going on to perfection. And I have joked over the years, oh, I'm not entirely sanctified, so don't expect me to do that. I don't joke that way anymore. When I stood up to become a pastor, anyone that is ordained in the Methodist church, one of the questions the bishop asks you is, do you expect to go on to perfection in this life? And the politically correct answer, the only answer that you can say is yes to that. But then usually the bishop says something like, well, it won't, probably won't happen until we die. And because we don't really believe it anymore. But who am I not to believe God when God's word says that the God of peace will sanctify you through and through, that he will do it. Who am I to disavow what God can do in my life? And who are you to disavow what God can do in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit? And when we are determined, God is even more determined. So J.D. Walt, in the Daily Text this week, in one of the days, he's talking about being an amateur prayer. And he's saying, I don't want to be a professional prayer anymore. I want to be an amateur prayer. You know what amateur means? It means to love. So friends, over the years, I was, a, I was an amateur softball player. I played softball for decades. I gave it up on the Schweitzer team about 15 years ago when my knees died on me between first and second base. And people laughed at me. I've been an amateur bowler. Bowled in bowling leagues for years. I was never a professional softball player. I was never a professional bowler. I was an amateur. I did it for the love of the game. I don't want to be a professional Christian. I don't want to be a professional Minister, I don't want to be a professional churchgoer. I don't want to do things because I have to or because I'm good at it. I want to do it out of love. And maybe what God is calling us to do and be today is to be amateurs again. To really worship and to love Him as a child loves. So this morning, we're going to go into this time of worship. Mary's going to lead us. Brad's going to lead us. I want to invite you to be amateurs. And as we sing these verses and these songs today, you'll notice that there's a movement, kind of like what happened to me in New Franklin. There's some sobbing or there's some calling out for God. And then there's this sense of peace and there's calling out to God and there's this sense of joy and peace. Would you be an amateur worshiper right now? 
and just love God and believe that the God of peace can sanctify you and cleanse you from all sin and make you into the person you want to be. Let's worship.